Welcome to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. just any Friday. It's Friday, the 13th day of May, 2022. Hello, everyone. Steve Z here with the Truth Hurts program, where we delve into issues politique, issues de religion, and of course, issues of human interest. I'm your host, Steve Z. Opinions expressed on the program you're about to hear are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Some might find what I say a bit controversial. And if I offend you, I apologize, but I retract nothing because I speak the truth. And no matter which side of the truth you might sit on, sometimes that truth hurts. We've got a whole lot to talk about today, so let's get right to it, shall we? In my first story today, I want to talk to you about someone you've probably never heard of. Aaron Bent is the CEO of a company called 6K. He said on the Mornings with Maria show Thursday, this is really a story about domestic production, national security, and maintaining a U.S. technology leadership. What was he speaking about? Gropey Joe Biden trying to push companies to make components and batteries for electric vehicles ahead of what we have really been able to accomplish. After the gropey Joe Biden administration announced last week that it will be providing more than $3 billion in a push to make components and batteries for U.S. electric vehicles, one U.S. material and battery maker is telling the president he needs to give that plan another look. Fox Business consultant Kristen Altus wrote, The price of lithium has surged 430% over last year. Talk about inflation. Experts have signaled it's not a shortage of the material itself, but the extremely slow and arduous process needed to extract the material. And that is the cause of the backup. Gropey Joe Biden can push manufacturers to build all kinds of factories to make batteries, but if the materials aren't there, you're paying for a bunch of empty warehouse space, Gropey Joe, with my tax dollars. According to Bent, 95% of the battery materials are imported from Asia and the production problem could easily be fixed with a domestic supply chain shift. Bent said, quote, Our dependency on foreign countries for lithium-ion batteries has the potential of being actually worse than the current semiconductor issue we're seeing today. He further scolded the president, claiming batteries that require more critical infrastructure then the electric vehicles themselves are going to actually make the process slower. Bent said, 
Our power plants, our telecommunications, our data centers are literally zero battery materials produced here on U.S. soil, and it's a serious issue. In fact, we have less than a one-month supply of the critical battery materials on U.S. soil. You think China's going to give it up that easily? I don't think so. Bent then tried to explain how increasing lithium-ion battery production, the materials expert cautioned, it can't be done in the short term. Bent noted, it's going to take two major things. One is a lot of collaboration between industry and government and creating domestic supply chains here in the U.S. But I think the biggest thing is it's going to take us technological innovation. He's hoping for the company to change the narrative with key industries that put the U.S. at a disadvantage, you know, like the lithium-ion battery market. He says, that's where I need to go back to the need to do technology innovation and willingness to support young companies to leapfrog over China. Very few policymakers realize how serious an issue the lithium-ion batteries are, as well as the supply chain infrastructure, the fragility of it, and that across the aisle... There's a lot of support for doing something different. We need to change. And we need to move into action. Gropey Joe Biden always tries to put the cart before the horse. And he is but a horse's ass. You know the guy who pulls Gropey Joe Biden's strings is most likely Barack Hussein Obama with help from Hillary Clinton. Certainly George Soros has his hand in it. Over the last decade, evidence has grown increasingly strong that the notion of public charter schools do actually create better educational outcomes, especially for low-income and minority students in major cities than the union-run public school systems. The question currently hovering over the Gropey Joe Biden administration has been whether it will encourage and work to improve charter schools, like the Obama administration tried to do, or try to smother charter schools as Gropey Joe's friends in the teachers' unions and some left-wing activists continue to urge. This spring, the Biden administration released new guidelines restricting the $440 million in annual federal funding for charter schools. He did this to please the teachers' unions. The effect of these guidelines, and almost certainly its objective as well, is to choke off the growth of charter schools and pander to the desires of of those that Biden is beholden to, the school unions. The administration's proposed rules which impose a blizzard of new conditions and requirements to access funds for charter schools have three major flaws. First, they impose unnecessary application requirements that will make it difficult for small charter schools to even apply or comply. Second, the rules require or strongly encourage charters must collaborate with the school districts that operate the union-controlled public schools in their area. Of course, since the purpose of charter schools is to provide competition and an alternative to the failing public schools in a city, this effectively gives districts a veto to block any such competition. The requirements are the equivalent of letting Starbucks decide whether anyone else can run a coffee shop in a specific neighborhood. Third, the rules push prospective new charter schools to demonstrate that public schools existing in an area do not have enough seats to meet existing demand. 
This completely misses the entire reason that parents want charter schools. Not because they lack access to a school or a chair within a school, but because they lack access to a good, worthy school to begin with in the public school system. Affluent parents who don't have a high-quality public school option can simply send their kids to a private school or simply move to a more affluent neighborhood. Charter schools give a chance at a decent education to inner-city parents and lower-income parents who can't afford to move to a richer neighborhood or pay for tuition to send their children to a private school. Now, while the Biden administration is treating charters as some sort of existential threat to the quality of traditional union-run public schools, the evidence actually shows the opposite to be true. One recent study finds that adding charter schools increases performance for students in all schools across the district, including the evil public schools run by the unions. Another study finds that adding charter schools leads to higher performance in math and science for African-American 13% AA hyphenated minorities and Latino students in an entire metro area. It also narrows the racial achievement gap. The most revealing aspect of Gropey Joe Biden's administration rules is its defense of them, or rather lack thereof. When asked of the Education Department for an interview about the charter school regulations, the Department of Education declined. Instead, a spokesperson for the Department of Education simply declined to comment and recommended that we speak to Carol Burris, the Executive Director for the Network for Public Education. Well, if you're familiar with the Network for Public Education, they're a militant group, anti-charter group. They take funding from teachers' unions, and outsourcing your response to that group is essentially confessing that you're turning over charter school funding regulation policy directly to the teachers' unions. Gropey Joe Biden can pat himself on the back and placate an interest group that backed his campaign, or he can side with the low-income families that he claims to want to help, those families who want a chance at giving their children at least a decent education. Of course, the option to continue backing the interest group, the teachers' unions who supported his campaign, might seem like the path of least resistance. But for the Democratic Party that has increasingly adopted the preferences of college-educated liberals while losing the entire working-class minority group that got them to where they are now, it's not even the clear political circulation of this issue that makes a bit of sense. Biden's education department has just released a first draft. Hopefully the administration will grasp and understand the damage that it is incurring while inflicting damage upon those supportive of charter schools and rethink their misguided proposal. We'll be right back. I sure hope Chuck Schumer knows what he's doing, or at least thinks he does. Chuck Schumer, in a gesture that has become ritualistic in this current Congress, he forced a vote on the Senate floor in a major challenge to try and codify Roe versus Wade, knowing that every single Republican would vote against it, and possibly several Democrats as well. And in doing so, the so-called leader, Chuckles the Clown Schumer, publicly raised the stakes of his party's certain loss. Schumer, 
The test vote on an abortion rights bill Wednesday would be one of the most important votes we take in this chamber in decades. You lost, Chuck. You lost. The Wednesday afternoon vote in the Women's Health Protection Act failed 49 to 51, with Democrat intelligent person Joe Manchin voting with every single Senate Republican to keep it from advancing. In its demise, the Women's Health Protection Act joins two voting rights measures, a minimum wage hike bill, and the giant build back broke budget bill, which is not subject to a filibuster, but lacks the very important vote support from Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. All of these relatively popular measures with Democrats were touted as potentially history-making necessities by Democratic lawmakers and then were left for dead after predictable failed Senate votes. The situation was set into motion when Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff unexpectedly won Georgia's Senate runoffs in January, giving the Democrats their 49th and 50th seat in the Senate. It was clear from the get-go that Republicans would use the Senate filibuster to kill any remotely controversial legislation proposed by gropey Joe Biden, Chuckle Schumer, and the rest of the nutjobs in the Democratic Party. And even on filibuster-proof legislation, the Democrats' minimum Senate majority meant anyone in their ranks could amass enormous power by threatening to defect. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are indeed the two most powerful members of the United States Senate. More powerful than Chuckles the Clown Schumer, Bernie Sanders, or any of the other clowns up there on the Capitol. Senate Democrats' apparent weakness over the past two years does reflect actual weakness, not just stupidity, not just errors or gaffes. And Schumer is only doing this, sending these doomed-to-fail acts before the full Senate, knowing they're going to fail for one reason and one reason only. He wants to make them think, the Democrats that is, that he is doing his level best and there's just a few rank breakers that are causing the problem, but he is still a strong leader. That's what he wants them to think. Because when the Democrats lose the Senate in the midterm elections, Schumer is hoping to still be the minority leader. He doesn't want to take a back seat to someone like Bernie Sanders, someone like Elizabeth Warren, someone like Cory Booker. He's placating the Democratic base and in the hopes of maintaining a leadership role, he keeps throwing these doomed-to-fail pieces of legislation for an obvious no vote. In the wacky far-left progressive liberal wing of the Democratic Party and among certain constituency groups, the Democrats' so-called establishment has a well-earned reputation for letting down the party base. This stems from Congressional Democratic leaders' perceived unwillingness to pass bold policies that might endanger their candidates in highly competitive swing states or districts. Couple this with a tendency to take more reliable Democratic politicians and voters for granted, and this is perfectly encapsulated by Mr. Schumer and Democratic leaders' current kowtowing directly to Joe Manchin, even though he is totally out of step with what a majority of the Democratic Party claims to want.
Schumer keeps beating his head against the West Virginia-shaped wall to try and show his base that he's at least trying to do what he thinks is the right thing, and then saying the evil Joe Manchin simply will not let him. The impetus to try, try, try again is particularly strong because core Democratic constituencies face dire, immediate, massive threats, including state voting law changes, punitive policies towards invading illegal trespassing immigrants, and bans on abortion services. You know, where they take a baby out of the mother's womb, and if it cries, kill it quickly. We'll call it an abortion. It's actually murder. The Democrats seem to think it's perfectly okay to do so. By bringing up doom legislation, Schumer is trying to send a message that he really cares about the wacko far left. Oh well, it is what it is. He's doing so also to try and boost voter turnout. I guess he feels if he keeps bringing up controversial issues, it'll piss off the dumber, more uneducated Democrats who were sitting on their couches with one finger in their navel and the other finger on the TV remote. Because those will simply follow the Pied Piper to the Democrat polling place. Perhaps the most persuasive reason Schumer is heavily advertising these Senate votes that he's sure to lose is that Democrats are really, really, totally screwed if their voter turnout in November is as anemic as it was during the midterms under President Obama. They need turnout patterns more like 2018. And they're going to continue throwing these hot-button issues and riling up their base in the hopes that they won't lose as many seats as we know they will. Schumer might have some good reasons for demanding the largest possible audience for every defeat. But there remains the possibility that he's just winging it. He's completely and incompetently adding to the woes of his party. After all, there's a fine line between mobilizing a Democratic base and demoralizing them by constantly losing every vote you put forward. It's unclear if marginal voters are more likely to appreciate that the Democratic Party is at least attempting to fight for them or to simply stay home in the midterms because giving Democrats a trifecta obviously did no good for the nation when it came to passing legislation. Whatever chuckles the clown Schumer thinks he's trying to do, he and other Democrats, including gropey Joe Biden, including Camel Toe Harris, are doing a piss-poor job of explaining to the public that the Republicans are kicking their ass at every single turn and that the Democrats are in for a whooping in November. This is the Truth Hurts program. Here's something that ought to scare the hell out of you, and it comes directly from the Truth Hurts program archives and the I told you so file. And ironically enough, this was published in the USA Today on Thursday, yesterday. Your information could end up in the hands of Immigration and Customs Enforcement when you apply for a driver's license, when you drive on the nation's roads, when you sign up for utilities, or even apply for a credit card. ICE has a built-in surveillance infrastructure that gives that particular government agency access to data on almost every person living in the United States, and it's gone well beyond its immigration enforcement duties to become a broader domestic surveillance agency, this according to an investigation released 
by none other than the Georgetown Law's Center on Privacy and Technology. Dan Badico is the co-author of a report called American Dragnet, Data-Driven Deportation in the 21st Century. He says, Surveillance through the Department of Homeland Security is much broader than people realize. It is truly a dragnet. Based on hundreds of Freedom of Information Act requests and a review of Immigration and Customs Enforcement Department spending transactions, a two-year investigation found that ICE possesses driver's license information on over 75% of adults currently living in the United States. They also found that at least one-third of all adults' driver's licenses have been scanned by the agency with new facial recognition technology. According to this study, ICE can locate three out of four adults directly through utility records. And the agency is tracking the movements of cars in cities that are home to nearly three out of every four adults in our country. This is personal data information, Betico said. It's very concerning because this has been done without congressional oversight, congressional approval, often without even the awareness of state or local representatives. We here at the Truth Hurts program reached out to ICE and they refused to respond to our request for comment. The agency has collected information on millions of Americans and immigrants, largely without oversight, by simply tapping private companies and local and state governments, including the Department of Motor Vehicles in some states. And when states have enacted laws to protect privacy of its people, ICE has been able to circumvent their legislation by contracting with private data brokers. That's right. They're spying on you and they're using private agencies to do it. In Oregon, this report found, soon after a law was passed to prevent ICE from accessing driver's license data, the state's Department of Motor Vehicles signed an agreement to sell records to two data brokers who in turn provided services to ICE. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, part of the Department of Homeland Security, under the watchful eye of Alejandro Mayorkas and at the direction of Gropy Joe Biden, have been weaving a vast surveillance system for many years. Its annual spending on surveillance program has grown fivefold from $71 million to $388 million per year. Badico said that's what we're talking about when we're saying it's growing into a domestic surveillance agency. It's building up capacity that it did not have before. ICE has spent an estimated $2.8 billion on surveillance since 2008 with data collecting and data sharing initiatives, according to this report. Since its founding in 2003, the authors wrote, ICE has not only been building its own capacity to use surveillance to carry out deportations, but has also played a key role in the federal government's larger push to amass as much information as possible about all of our lives. For years, civil and immigrant rights groups have raised concerns over ICE's surveillance practices. They filed lawsuits and brought scrutiny over the role of private companies within the ICE operations. But the extent of ICE's dragnet has even surprised government relations and policy manager at CASA, the immigrant advocacy group, 
This confirms what we've always known, said Catherine Paul. It gives us more context about the magnitude of how awful and devastating the depths of ISIS surveillance network is. CASA pushed for a law last year that prohibits the state's Motor Vehicle Administration from sharing undocumented driver's information with federal immigration authorities. I disagree. If you're here illegally and you have a driver's license issued by a state and you're not a citizen, abso-freaking-lutely, ICE needs to know where those illegal, invading, trespassing criminal aliens are. They don't need to know where I am. I don't have a green card. I have U.S. citizenship granted to me by my lawful legal birth here in these United States of America. The report recommends Congress pass laws to stop ICE's use of DMV data and conduct an aggressive oversight of ICE surveillance by holding a hearing or at least asking the Government Accountability Office to look into the matter. The amount of secrecy here is really striking. That's what's really worrying. It took two years for Betico to do this research, and he says there are still so many open questions about how ICE conducted surveillance, not only on illegal trespassing criminal aliens, but on lawful, legal United States citizens. That's what they're doing to you, folks. If you are a young mother and you're trying to find baby formula right now, you are likely to find empty shelves. Thank you, Joe Biden. But according to the Washington Examiner, illegal trespassing invading criminal immigrants are now the first to get pallets of hard-to-find baby formula. Paul Bedard wrote yesterday afternoon, The nationwide shortage of baby formula that has sent moms desperately running from store to store and even state to state has evaded one lucky group. Illegal immigrants detained by the Border Patrol. According to videos posted by a Florida lawmaker, the Biden administration has been shipping pallet loads of baby formula to those illegal immigrant holding facilities. Republican Representative Kat Kamek said in one of two online postings, they're sending pallets, pallets of baby formula to the border. Meanwhile, in our own district at home, we cannot find baby formula. And she was seen holding a photo of empty shelves where baby formula should be. Kamek said a Border Patrol agent sent her photographs of the deliveries, which she posted online. She said they're receiving pallets and more pallets of baby formula at the border. This photo was taken at Ursula Processing Facility in McAllen, Texas, where thousands are being housed, processed, and then released into the country. She said of the photo, which showed Advantage brand formula and Squeeze brand applesauce, that you would not believe the shipment that are being brought in. One agent told her, Cat, you would not believe the shipment I just brought in. He's been a Border Patrol agent for 30 years. He's never seen anything quite like this. He, the Border Patrol agent, is a grandfather. And he says his own children at home are having difficulty getting baby formula. It is a shame. The shortage was sparked by manufacturing issues and then, of course, a run on stores, much like the old toilet paper shortage. This shortage has become yet another issue, coloring the concerns about growing inflation, empty shelves, Joe, and all of the economic troubles caused by President Joe Biden. The New York Times reported on the troubles Texas parents are having finding formula that is being shipped by their homes. 
to the migrant facility holding centers. Just going right by their houses, straight to the illegals. A baby formula shortage leaves desperate parents searching for food, read the headline of the Times. Some parents are driving hours at a time and crossing state lines in search of supplies. Others are forced to water down existing formula or ration it, hoping for an end to gropey Joe Biden's shortage. Ms. Kamek was not critical of the migrants receiving the formula, but said the administration should put American parents first. And I agree. She says, I don't know about you, but if I am a mother, anywhere, any time in America, I can go to my local Walmart or Target or Publix or Safeway or Winn-Dixie or Kroger or wherever it may be that you shop. You're seeing their shelves and you're seeing signs that you are not able to get baby formula. Of course, the signs are usually empty shelves, Joe. Then you see the American government sending by the pallets thousands and thousands of containers of baby formula to the border. That would make my blood boil. It's not the children's fault at all. But what is infuriating to me, she added, is this is another example of the America last agenda that the Biden administration continues to perpetuate. That is true. Thanks to Paul Bedard for that information. Thanks to Kat Kamek, representative of Florida, for pointing out this obvious foobar in the Biden administration's continued plummeting of America. That's all the time I have for this edition of the Truth Hurts program for your Friday the 13th day of April, 2022. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Mm-hmm.